So Okay. All right, so uh, if you have your Bibles, or if not, just grab the one that's close to you. Turn to page 879. That's going to be our scripture lesson this morning. And uh, we're two weeks uh, from completion in our small group study. Uh, there's 12 weeks that, we've, that we're eventually going to get to. This is week 10. So I know number, some of you are familiar with this passage. It's something that you've looked at this week. Uh, but our scripture lesson is going to be in uh, Luke chapter 19. And uh, that's going to be uh, verse 37 is where we're going to pick up. And we're going to read um, through the end of the chapter. So I invite you to follow along. As he was drawing near, he being Jesus, drawing near, that is, being Jerusalem. As he was drawing near... Already on his way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if they were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the day will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Let's pray. Oh God, as we, uh, in a spirit of worship, um, whether it be through song or it be through reading and and, and listening to the scripture lesson, what we pray, God, is for your spirit to, to move uh, inside of us in this place. Um, and we want to be open to that. So we, we want to give affirmation to this, oh God, because we're after uh, a changed nature. And we know that that happens when we work with your spirit uh, in a way that ends up forming the nature of Jesus inside of us. So we pray for this, uh, as always, and we do it now in the name of Christ. Amen. So... Now, you know that uh, I like movies, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm not, but I don't like all movies. I really like movies that are uh, really fair, fairy tales because they have to have a happy ending. I really I shy away from all the, the movies that are real. Like, uh, I like the make-believes that there's something going to happen. It's always going to end. Um, and one movie that was on this week, and I've seen it probably uh, maybe 10, 15 times already, is the movie called Free Guy. I don't know if you know that movie. It's, I think it's a Disney flick. Looking at your faces, I got one person over here. Show of hands. Have y'all seen Free Guy? All right, you know, four people, five, really? Do y'all have Disney Plus? Shameless plug. Yeah, I tell you what, yeah. I don't, <laughs> hello, Disney. Send me, no. Uh, but uh, Free Guy, so Ryan Reynolds, who, who I like as an actor, especially in comedic roles. And so Ryan Reynolds, in this movie, Free Guy, Ryan Reynolds is a part of a video game, and he's what is called an NPC, which is a non-player character. And uh, he doesn't know what's really going on inside the game. He's just a, a character in the game until the moment he puts on these sunglasses. And the sunglasses represent all, all the players. So if you're playing the game, your character has, a sun, has sunglasses on. Well, the moment Ryan Reynolds puts on sunglasses, he can see the entire world differently. 
The, the world of the game is completely different for him. Uh, once what, what, he was unaware, then he becomes aware, and, and, and it changes everything that he does. It's like revelation to him. The moment he puts on these sunglasses, uh, his life changed, and the rest of the movie, because he puts them on fairly early in the movie, the rest of the movie is about his character making choices and, 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 and performing actions in light of now what he sees. And, and, and his character can never go back once he has this new sight. Now, strange as it might sound, and you have to give me a little bit of leeway, strange as it might sound, free guy is in Luke's gospel. That is a stretch. Yeah, it is. I know, a little bit. A little bit I don't know if there's any word for sunglasses well, in the language. Well, hang on. There's not. All right, I, I know you have a, you have a good, good, good hold of the Greek language. No, I just it, made that up. I'm no, just no. kind of hedging my bets that it's no, not No, no, it's there. not sunglasses, but I guarantee you there are a bunch of words for sight. Well, there are. Yeah, thank you very there much. Are. I am justified. Thank you. Yeah. So, well, just pray <laughs> tell about the sunglass folks. So, you know, it, it, just like in English, there's so many ways to use the word sight. You, you could say, I see something, I glance at something. It was just an oversight. You know, they all have different meanings. And, and you see this throughout the, the Gospels. In one specific place, it's, it happens a couple times, but one in specific place, all, there's four different words that are all translated to see in the uh, Gospel, one of the Gospels. And it's one chapter, it's John chapter 20. It's the resurrection and uh, tell a story. Mary Magdalene comes, and the Greek word is blepo. She takes a glance from a distance and gets an overview and sees what's wrong, and then she runs back. And then the two disciples run, John and Peter. John outruns Shane, I mean Peter, uh, <laughs> and gets to the tomb first, and he does per, uh, percupto blepo, where he stoops down and looks in, but still from a distance. But Peter, when he gets there, he runs right in, and it's theorao, which is the word that means, um, it's still translated to see, but he, a theater, it's, it's theatrically playing out in front of him as he notices all the things that are different and things that are, and starts to put the story together. But the most common word that's used, and it's probably used uh, more than 380 times in the New Testament, is adon. It's just the general word to see. And incidentally, as I was saying, all these words in English are, for the most part, translated into see. The very last time that this word uh, to see in English is found in that, that uh, passage is at the end when John says this, then the other disciple who reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and he believed. Um, and and this, this idea of sight um, sometimes in the gospel is followed by this and and another verb. Adon, here, he saw, and pistuo, he believed. He saw and he believed. And I'm not going to go through those details, but it's interesting. He saw and he believed. What he saw actually motivated him to go and do something or change a, a um a perspective of how he sees some. And it's not just visually. Sometimes the seeing happens internally in our hearts. Maybe it's an interpretation from a broken relationship or it's something that um, is uh, wrong, something that's wrong that's done to us. And, and we see everything we see plays out on this stage seen through that lens of interpretation. And it causes us to do something, be uh, um, 
harsh on that person, to react negatively, to get back at them or whatnot. Um, and the Bible, uh, it, it, throughout this, you see that this, um, a few times, that to see is followed by an action. And sight, you could say, in many ways, whether it's visually or internally interpreted, leads to an action. Wouldn't you say that happens? I would. And I, what I also heard was that sunglasses are in Luke's gospel. Oh, it is? Yeah, so... He put the sunglasses on and he believed. But it's actually in, in, in the passage. This idea of sight determines actions, uh, whether it be an external sight or an internal sight. Uh, I think that shows up in the text. I mean, what happened to Jesus when he entered the city? So when Jesus enters the city, there's actually two, it's, um, there's two times at the beginning of this passage where uh, what someone had seen actually determined some actions. So you see this. Uh, so in verse uh, 37, as he drew near... Um, the whole uh, multitude of disciples began to rejoice and they began to praise God. And then Luke tells us why. For all the mighty works that they had seen. So what they had seen God do in their life, maybe the widow at Nain. Remember that story we talked about a few weeks ago? She was the widow. Her son had just died and Jesus steps into the city and he raises her son, gives her son back to her. I wonder if she was in this mix of people. Worshiping God, worshiping Jesus in this sense. Or, or what about the man with the withered hand or the paraplegic that was lowered down by his four friends? Um, they saw something and it motivated them to do something into action. And on the flip side of that is the, uh, the Pharisees who saw this happen. Teacher, rebuke your disciples. What they saw, they were looking it through the lens of how they had interpreted it. And they saw Jesus as a threat. And because they saw Jesus as a threat to what they wanted to hold on to, reacted in this way in action. Stop that. Make your disciples stop. Of course, Jesus says, I tell you, if all these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Incidentally, which gives me the picture of sometimes it just needs to be said. If the disciples were not going to say and worship God, the stones and the mountains would do just that. And there are other places in this passage too, isn't there? Yeah, so for me, this idea where sight determines a person's actions, I mean, obviously you see it when he's entering in and the people are crying out, some do, some don't, but you also see it uh, when he's approaching the city and he weeps. Now, some of you uh, have been to... Israel and you've, you've stood on the Mount of Olives and you look down the Kidron Valley and, and then up a little bit and what you see is the silhouette of, of the city of, of Jerusalem. And, and, what you, and, and on top of that you see the temple or at least the remnants of the temple. So Jesus is on the, the Mount of Olives, he's traveling down that valley and then he's heading up and he's, the whole time he's looking at the city and he, and he begins to weep because the city Jerusalem was the holy seat. It was, if there's any city or any place geographically that should see what God is doing in Jesus Christ, it should be that city. Uh, in the Old Testament, and then you can make a case a little bit in the New Testament, definitely in the Old Testament, the city Jerusalem is like God's backyard. And so the idea that something's going on in God's backyard and they can't see it, well, for Jesus, he's grieving. He's weeping. 
Because he does, he does know that sight determines action, and these people are not seeing. So something very general, like the city. And, and then once he traveled into the city, he sort of looped around, and he went into the temple. Now, Luke doesn't tell us what, what he did, but Mark tells us that he, he, he came in, he looked in the temple, went out, but then the next day he came in, and he, he cleaned out the temple. This idea that, uh, where he said that... Um, that this place should be a house of prayer, this should be a house of, house of worship, and yet what it was was nothing of the sort. Now, what's interesting to me is you've got this very general example of people that should see what's going on, the city, and they don't. And then something more specific, the temple, if, if, if the backyard of God is the city of Jerusalem, then the temple's like the living room. And yet both places can't see what God is doing in Jesus Christ. And so you got a very general example, then something a little more specific, and then he really uh, dials in verse 47 and, and vor- verse 48. John, you have all the little clickers. I've got, I, I've got the Bible. Oh, sorry, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. So, uh, but, but verse 47 and verse 48, and he was teaching daily in the temple, and who? The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. So what Luke has done for us is to... Again, to, to edify this idea of sight determines actions. You've got something very general, the city, they should see it, they don't. You've got something more specific, the temple, they should see it, and they don't. And then finally at the very end, he drills down on what the real issue is. The religious people, they should see it, and yet they don't. And so whether Jesus is coming in and people are, you know, what we know is that triumphal entry into the city, some see it, some don't. The people that should see it, they don't. So it's interesting in this passage, all, all tied to sight, external or internal, determines what a person does. So we're looking at the passage and sort of unearth that, but let's make it first person. So part of what we do whenever we read the Bible is we want We want it to be used by God, leveraged by God, so it creates something different inside of us. So what would you say is one way that we could apply this text to our lives today? I think there has to be some kind of self-reflection here of when you look at the disciples and you look at the chief priests and the Pharisees, you got to ask the question, why? why? Why was it? What was going on in their hearts and their lives that that they could not see what was happening through the right lens? And, um, and significantly in this passage, um, you, you, start to, you start to wonder, they saw something, but th- what God was actually communicating was different. So how does that happen in us? And, and to be aware that it's happening. Now, certainly, you know, there are times when God uh, unmistakably shows up in our lives and, and we don't recognize it, but, but maybe afterwards we do recognize that he uh, showed up. Why is it that we don't step into that place? Why don't we kind of gravitate or lean in to that? And, and I wonder, Shane, if it's because we are afraid. Afraid of what it might be and what it might mean that you believe or you see and, what the and might be. We might start thinking and start interpreting what God might be asking us to do, and we'll say, okay, I want control here, I want power here, and I, this is my area, this is, this is my lane, and, and maybe if God would send me a tweet and tell me exactly what, if I saw and understood and interpreted that God is in our midst, what that might look out, look for me, 
Uh, maybe I will do it, but we seldom find ourselves doing this out of, um, out of our own nature. I mean, you see this in the Old Testament. Look, look at the life of Jacob. All Jacob's life, he sat around a table hearing the stories from his dad Isaac and his grandfather Abraham. And what stories you can only imagine would come out of those moments. Maybe Abraham and Isaac were talking about that day that Abraham took Isaac up to the mountain to sacrifice him. And they were talking about the providence of God. And, 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 but always it just seemed that Jacob was on the margins. He was, it just seemed like in his faith journey with God, it was God was the uh, covenant maker with my grandfather. He was the covenant maker with my father. But I've made too many mistakes that he's not the covenant maker for us. Well, you find out in Genesis 28 that he goes to find a, uh, a wife and in this undis indisposed place in Genesis 28 that later becomes known as Bethel. He has this dream, and the angels ascending and descending. It's called Jacob's Ladder, and he hears from God from the first time in the narrative of Genesis that God is speaking to him. And what God says to him is, the covenant is for you too. The covenant that I will bring you back to this land. The covenant that I will not leave you or forsake you. The covenant that you are in this lineage of people that will make a great nation a people of mine, my people. And when he woke up, he's amazed. And this is what he says, the scripture says, and he says, then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, surely the Lord is in this place and I didn't even know it. Now be honest. Have there been times in your life, because I know it has been in mine, that I look back and God has been in that place. And yet because of the, the lenses, the sunglass or the lack of them, that I did not see it through or the, I missed it. But even the disciples in this moment were moved to action to worship as they even remembered. They might not even have seen all the way God has moved and showed up, but they were open and they were willing to embrace what they saw God do through Jesus in their midst and they celebrated that. Yeah, I think that's a good point, this idea about fear. I mean, the, the, um, in order to, so if sight determines action, and it's been my experience that God is constantly willing to show up, even if we don't see it. He's already there, and, and he's working. So maybe the action for us is to swim in the deep end of the pool and, and to allow God to do something inside of us that does change even how we act. I mean, that does take a level of boldness. Maybe a different word is a level of faith, level of trust, that we would actually be willing to say, all right, God, show up to me. Give me those glasses to see. And regardless of what the action is, I'm going to trust you and for whatever it may be. Maybe it's nothing more than just to take one step. Maybe it's to, to swim out into that deep end of the ocean. So much of that is related to fear. So would you be willing to allow God to work, to even change your sight, maybe how you see yourself, maybe for the first time, to see yourself in light of his grace and mercy? And allow God to inform and, and to, to work inside of you so that you see yourself differently. Maybe as beloved. 
or as forgiven? Would you be willing to to step out and, and allow God to change your sight so that then you could be used in a way in this community so that it ends up affecting another person? Do you know how people become Christians? I mean, you know, at least the first part of that. So often, it is because of the witness of another person. That's what they see. It's, it's seeing your faith in the flesh, and it becomes infectious. You don't have to be perfect. What you have to be is willing. But at some point, it involves putting on the glasses. And seeing a whole different world, this time through what God sees. And then allow that to change you from the inside out. Overcome the fear. Better yet, just be open to allow God to move you through it. And trust His grace. Lord, we give thanks for this passage. And we, you know, it's so great about the Bible, Lord, as we read these scriptures. And, and often we think they're scriptures about people that we know by name, maybe because we've read them over and over and over. But as soon as we look away from the passage, what we discover, it's a, it's a passage about us, our life. And so we can find uh, ourselves in this scripture. Maybe the disciples, maybe the people crying out, in praise, maybe, maybe like the city or the temple or the religious leaders. Whatever it may be, oh God, what we first, what we want to do is we want to be open to you and be vulnerable. Regardless of the people that are sitting around us, just to, to, to be open for an exchange that takes place between you and us. That you would give us sight. And do that work that you do where you're able to reach down into the depths of our souls and and change our vision, especially the vision on the inside, so that we see ourselves in in light of, of Jesus Christ. We see other people in light of Jesus Christ. And whatever comes, oh God, we want to be open. We want to trust you in that process so that by now what we see we then act upon. So guide us, O God, and direct us as we continue to worship you, and we pray this in your name. Amen.